Welcome to Secrets True Crime. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the story of Susan Osborne and her 14-year-old son, Evan Chartrand. They vanished from their home in the tiny Alabama community of Holtville on Memorial Day in 2017. They haven't been seen or heard from since, and their bodies have not been found. This is episode four of a serial podcast with each episode building upon the previous. If you have not listened to episodes one through three, please stop and listen to it first or you probably won't understand what's happening in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. This episode contains one instance of mildly foul language and the subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. It is not suitable for younger listeners. While this was mentioned in previous episodes, I want to note again, Susan Osborne also has a 10-year-old daughter. Because of her age, I will not be naming her, and she will come up in this episode. Both she and her father will come up in this episode. I'll be referring to her dad as Jay. The daughter's name will be bleeped out. If you know or have known Jerry or knew Susan after she was married to Jerry, I want to hear from you. Someone knows something. Information you may think is small or insignificant could make a difference in this case, and you can remain anonymous. Secrets True Crime at gmail.com or the Elmore County Sheriff's Office at 334-567-5546. We now know that immediately following the disappearance of Evan and Susan, Susan's husband, Jerry Osborne, began a remodeling project on their home. Investigators also discovered that he had multiple burn barrels and burn piles in his backyard, and he burned at least some of the furniture, including Evan's mattress. While the Elmore County Sheriff's Office has not named a suspect, they have stated that their only person of interest in the disappearance at this time is Jerry Osborne. For the remainder of the story to make sense, we have to go back to the time in Susan's life before she met Jerry. These events played a big part in Susan's story with Jerry. Also, the family wants to clear up some things that they feel have been misrepresented in other news coverage. There are two things that everyone I've spoken to that knew Susan well agreed upon. The first is that her kids were her life and she'd never have left her daughter. The second is that her biggest flaw is that she had terrible taste in men. This is her brother, Brian. Susie was not a weak person. I mean, she always stood her ground on what she thought was right. But she just had the worst judgment of guys, you know. She was a magnet for losers. And, you know, boyfriends, you know, growing up, she had a couple decent boyfriends. I don't know how she ended up with the last three of them that she had. Or just seemed to get worse and worse. Susan and Evan moved to Alabama when Susan was married to Evan's dad, Eric Chartrand. Eric was transferred to Alabama for his job. Melissa described Susan and Eric's relationship to me. They went to Texas. That was before Evan was born. But he got a job. She followed him down there. She had a really good job with a makeup company down there. 
really liked it. But then he got sent back up here for work and she came back up here to be back by family and stuff. And then later after that's when she got pregnant with Evan and they got married. And then his job again was sending him to Alabama. And she went back and forth on whether or not to follow him because their marriage was on the rocks. But she has even said she wanted to do anything she could so that Evan had mom and dad and a complete family and stuff. But I guess she didn't look at maybe you should look at the quality of what's going on in the family is more important than it just being intact. You know, if it's a bad relationship, then you need to get out of it. (laughs) But yeah, she followed him for both of those. And that was the first husband. And I think some of her struggle was the marriage not working out with Evan's dad because of her coming from a divorce situation. She really wanted Evan to have that stable life. And so I think she struggled with when to leave that relationship because she wanted that so bad for him because she didn't have it. Although she was one of those people that the weirdest things in the world would always happen to her. If it was something that you couldn't believe would happen, it would happen to her, which even makes this even weirder because this is something you would never think would happen. But then when you think about who it was, it's like her whole life was like weird things that would go wrong. (laughs) Melissa told me that Susan and Eric had troubles throughout their relationship, and they finally divorced. At some point, Susan began a relationship with the man we are calling Jay. While they were never married, Susan and Jay did have a daughter. Susan and Jay were at the end of their relationship when Holly moved across the street from Susan, and she told me that Jay moved out soon afterward. A pretty vague statement saying that Susan had disappeared before has made its way into several news stories since their disappearance. Susan's family and friends take issue with this, and they want to give the full story to clear this misconception up once and for all. Here is Melissa. So at that time, we were making monthly trips to Nashville for my oldest daughter. Brian told her, he goes, I will drive to Alabama. I will pick you and the kids up. I will bring you back to Michigan. And you can spend a week here with us. Then at the end of that week, we were supposed to be making a trip back to Nashville. So then when we would make the trip back to Nashville, we would drive the another, I think it's like four hours back down and drop her back off to home. So she'd get a week up here. One of our trips was already being made. It would be an extra trip and plus the extra time. So my husband drove down there, picked her up, brought her back up here. She spent the week. While she was here, we found out her water was being shut off. She finally confessed how bad of a situation she was in money. Her water was shut off. Her electricity was about to be shut off and she didn't have money to pay her rent. She wanted back to Michigan with her family so bad but she felt trapped in the state of Alabama because of the custody things. So she couldn't get the kids away. And she was to that point. Well, my husband, where he worked, could get her a job. They said they'd hire her in a second and she'd have a job. She could live here with us. I would babysit the kids for free. It would work out perfect for when she enrolled Evan back into school. He would be starting into the middle school where they merged the three elementaries. So he wouldn't be like the new kid because everybody be new. It'd be like the perfect time for that to happen. We called lawyers and we researched it and we researched it. 
during the time she was here, we was looking and in that they said, you can leave the state of Alabama without giving the 45 day notice to the fathers if there's insinuating circumstances. Well, if you have no water and your electricity is being shut off and you're going to be homeless before the 45 days is up, I would say that's insinuating circumstances. As long as she notified them that she was leaving. And down there, she said it's like the good old boy system and grandmother works in the clerk's office at the courthouse that she has to go through for custody. So that was causing her issues because she would never have let it go through to get approved to come to Michigan because of that. So we followed up with everything, went down there, loaded all of her stuff up and moved her back up here with us. While we were there, she mailed them certified letters with our address, phone numbers, everything, explaining the whole situation, explained she had a job, a place for them to live, free babysitting, the whole nine yards, everything in the letter as to why and that she really desperately needed to be back with her family. Whole nine yards. Sent them that letter. What we did is we went picture up, loaded all our stuff up. We took people with us to help. We stopped back in Nashville. Her and the people we had to help continued on back home and we stayed in Nashville for the couple days to do what we needed to do. So we were there less than a week. And while she was here for the week before when she was babysitting, spoke to her dad every night. Evan spoke to his dad every night. She made a point. They both talked to their dads every night when they called. They knew exactly where she was at. They knew exactly who she was visiting, the whole nine yards. She went and did this to move up here. We went down, moved her stuff. The day we were headed back, we get a phone call that the sheriff's department showed up at our door and took the kids. We had told her, go up and stay somewhere else besides this address till we get home so you're not alone with the kids, you know, just in case, because she had had issues with both of those guys before on safety issues. But she stayed here anyway because she wasn't worried about it. Well, they showed up here less than a week later and took both of the kids from the thing is, is that later we discovered the sheriff who showed up didn't have the paperwork that she needed to take them away. And then when we went up there, we got home. We booked it home as fast as we could. Got home, went to the sheriff's department. The paperwork stating that they were getting emergency custody from her also was faxed from Kentucky the day after they took them. I believe that the sheriff that he got, she went to school with him, same high school. I believe that Evan's dad knew her. That's how he got her to step in without the paperwork. But at that point, Susie's like, I don't care about going against the Genesee County Sheriff's Department. I just want the kids back, you know. So she she got her stuff together, got some help from up here. My parents gave her money to pay for a lawyer down there. They loaned her money for that. Me and her actually turned around that day we got home from Nashville, me and her, and took off back to Alabama and got to the courthouse to get those paperwork to see what they had against her to say that they could get custody. It was the stupidest paperwork in the whole wide world because one sentence said that she never allowed him to see the kids. The next sentence stated that she dumped the kids on him every day and never took care of them. Then the next statement would say that she withheld them. And then it was like, you're contradicting yourself in one paragraph four times. It was the stupidest if that sheriff woman had looked at it. And then for her to come to rip two kids out of her screaming and crying, 
and take them down the road and drop them off to a parking lot to two strange guys. And Evan's dad and his dad hated each other. But they worked together because Evan's dad had money to pay for the lawyer. His dad didn't. They became buddy-buddy and lived together after that. I spoke to Evan's dad, Eric. His and Melissa's recollection of these events doesn't match 100%. But as we walk through the conflicts, he agreed that some of the differences are likely due to poor communication between him and Susan. There are some things that Eric and Melissa are in perfect agreement on. One is that Evan and Susan's disappearance from the home they shared with Jerry Osborne is not at all like the event Melissa described to me when Susan attempted to move back to Michigan. He told me he wished he believed they were still alive, but he knows they aren't. The second thing is that Susan would have never left her daughter. Because, number one, she hadn't contacted her daughter at all. And if she was going to do it, she would have taken both of them. This situation really isn't anything like what? No, not at all. Okay. I know her father left her money when he passed, and she hasn't gotten it, so... Do you think that Susie would have left without... No, not at all. Not at all. Like I said, if she was going to do it, she'd have done it with both of them. As I mentioned in the previous episode, I did reach out to Jay, but he declined to speak with me and blocked me on Facebook. Susan was able to obtain full custody of Evan again within a few months or so. Getting primary custody back for her daughter was not as easy, but it was top priority for Susan. Holly told me Jerry knew this and that he used it to keep Susan in the marriage. And that was one of the things that he kept telling her to try and, I guess, keep her, is I'm going to help you get full custody back. I'm helping you. I'm going to pay for everything. I'm going to take care of it. I'll help you get her back. And it was always like, you know, He would always put up this big act like he was actually doing something to help when he wasn't. By this time, Susan and Jerry are married, but we aren't sure exactly when they got married. I found where they purchased their marriage license in October 2013, so it was obviously sometime after that. Susan's family believes they had been married for about four years at the time of her disappearance. Holly told me they married approximately a year after they met, but Susan didn't tell Holly that she and Jerry got married until afterwards. And that was another thing that kind of worried me because she was so secretive about it. He proposed to her at Christmas in front of his family. You know, right after Christmas that year, she had told me that he proposed to her. But it really... Like I said, she's a private person around people she doesn't know. And she's not the type that wants a big scene or, you know, wants wants to be the center of attention. That was not her. And she said, you know, it really bothered her and it, you know, really made her nervous. He proposed to her in front of his entire family, people she didn't know, and all these people there. She said, it just made me so nervous. She said, and he knows how private I am. She said, I wish he had just done it different. And literally after her dad died, how I even found out that they even got married, she called me up one day at my house and it showed up Susan Osborne. And I saw her name instead of Susan Shortrand. And I saw the name pop up on my card. I said, Susie, is there something you want to tell me? 
She's like, what do you mean? I said, uh, your name? Your name just showed up on my call ID as Osborne, not Chartrand. I said, is there anything you need to tell me? And, you know, this was not long after they got engaged. They had a very short engagement. And she goes, oh, oh, yeah, we got married. I was like, and you were going to tell me when? And she said, oh, we got married about a week ago. And I was like, and why didn't you tell me this? She goes, she said, uh, she said it wasn't really any big deal. So she was just very nonchalant about it. And I said, why didn't you tell me? She's like, well, she's like, because I knew that you would want to be there. She said, I wanted you to be there, but I knew you couldn't get off of work. And I didn't want you to feel obligated that you had to, you know, take off of work. So she said, that's why. She's like, because I knew that, you know, you would be there. And she said, I wanted you to be there, but she's like, I know how your job is too. So she said, we just literally, she said, he found this little elopement church out in the middle of nowhere. And I remember it was somewhere in Alabama. And I think it was somewhere up in North Alabama, but I don't remember the exact town. It was, I mean, literally a town out in the middle of nowhere. Some little country church where literally she said, somehow Jerry found it online. And it was just, you go, it's literally an elopement, just the two of you. The only people there is the preacher and his wife, I think, was the witness, the preacher's wife. And it was literally just at them there. And she said, um, I just wore, and it was in uh, January. I think I can't remember the exact month they got married. But she said, I wore a purple dress. She said, <laughs> she said it was, you know, nothing fancy whatsoever. She said, literally, it was just the two of us. I do, I do. That was it. She said, it wasn't anything big. I said, you know, you don't sound really excited, though. She goes, she was just very nonchalant about it. And that's what started worrying me too. Cause I was like, okay, was she starting to see some red flags then, but starting to get scared then and wasn't saying anything, but her dad had died not long before that. And she, and the comment she made to me several times, she said, he was there for me when my dad died. She said, that's why I went ahead and did it. Early on in Susan and Jerry's relationship, Holly thought he seemed like a down-to-earth, nice guy. But Holly and Susan's family quickly started to see some concerning behavior. Melissa and Brian told me that Susan and Jerry introduced Jerry as her husband when they visited in January 2015. See, when Jerry came in the picture, Jerry liked to keep her away. We didn't quite realize how much it was him, which we now can see. So she went and talked to us a lot. She sort of stayed back. She had a little bit of a rift with her dad before her dad died because she wouldn't let her dad talk to the kids. And he would say, why can't I talk to my grandkids? You know, he's in bad health, 13 hours away. He just wants to talk to his kids on the phone. Later, we discovered Jerry was listening to all their phone calls. Evidently, Jerry had an issue with him. So because we were taking care of the dad, we sort of got roped into not really being in the middle, but sort of like, I think Jerry didn't want to talk to us either because he just, I don't know why he had an issue with kids talking to him. Because it was really weird for her to act like that. I mean, I know my father-in-law was sending her money down to help her and stuff. And he's like, well, you won't even let me talk to the kids and you won't do this. Should I continue to send you money and this or that? And stuff. And I think that when he said that, I think Jerry got mad and probably said, Well, thank you, send your money and get to have the kids and this or that. And so, but then when her dad passed away, she did come up and see him. That was the last time we got to see them in person, was when he passed away. And that was January 2015. 
And that was really weird too. And you could take the situation as two different ways, but looking at it now is a whole lot different than the way you took it at the time, knowing what's going on and what's happened because Jerry had never met her dad and they got to the hospital and he's in the intensive care unit. So they don't allow a lot of extra people, but because he was so close to the end, they were being a little bit more lenient. And if she went back there to see her dad, Jerry had to be there with her because I know one of my husband's aunts was like, what does he need to be back there? He doesn't even know him. And I says, yeah, but she wants her husband probably there for support because this is hard for her. You know, you would want your husband there too. So you got to understand that, you know, but Jerry never left her side and he was really bad and it was only going to be a couple days. So they were gone. I don't think she'd made it back to Alabama before he had passed, honestly. So she was there and stuff and she kept saying, we have to go back. Jerry has to get to work. We have to go back because Jerry has to get to work. And Jerry would stand there and say, no, it's fine. I can just call him and get the next day off. That's fine. We'll, we'll just stay. And then a little bit later, she'd be like, no, he's got to get back to work. And it's like, well, is she wanting to get out of here faster or why? Because he's saying he can get it off. And then before they left that night for the hospital, they came the one day to the hospital. Evan is obsessed with fishing. So my husband was going to take him out ice fishing. He'd never got to go ice fishing because he um, hadn't been up in the winter. So he was so excited. So they said, well, we're going to go back to the hotel, check on the dogs, get warmer stuff and change. And we'll meet you at the house and we'll go ice fishing. My husband was so excited. He had hardly even left the hospital and everything else. But him and my son were both taking him ice fishing. Even if it was dark, <laughs> it was late. They were going ice fishing. We got a text message shortly after they left and said, oh, sorry, we can't go. We're headed back to Alabama. So we didn't even get to give them a proper goodbye or anything because we were expecting to see them like in half an hour back at the house to go ice fishing and stuff. And they up and left. Now later knowing what's happening, Jerry was playing Mr. Nice Guy, but probably in her ear the whole time that they had to be back. And then Jerry wouldn't let him go ice fishing. I guarantee that's probably what it was for them to hurry back on out like that so fast. So I says, it wasn't that she, he was just being there to support her. He didn't want her alone with anybody. He was on top of her that whole time. And I says, it wasn't loving husband who was being there for support. It was controlling husband who was controlling the situation. And after, when you find out exactly how controlling he was, then you see it. But after her dad died, we didn't really talk to her a lot. We told her when the funeral was and we had issues getting answers back and we didn't really talk to her a lot. Like I said, Linda would talk to her and stuff. So we would get updates that way. We didn't really get a chance to talk to her very much. Melissa said Jerry was on top of Susan the whole time. At the time, she wasn't sure if Jerry was trying to be a supportive husband or if it was a possessive controlling action. I have spoken to so many people while creating this podcast. Some you've heard from, some you'll hear from in the future, and some you may never hear speak. Some of them know each other, but many of them don't. I have lost count of how many people I've spoken with that have related this to me almost verbatim. Jerry was on top of Susan the whole time. I have heard this over and over and over again. 
Susan's brother Brian had this to say about the one and only time he met Jerry. I only met him one time. Susie and Jerry come up when my father was getting ready to pass away in the hospital, and he would just seem like a really odd character. He would never, he never left her side. You know, it was like he always be, had to have his ear on every conversation. Just a real strange person. He's one of them people he would talk if you said something to him, or if I asked Susie something, he would butt in and say something. I got the impression right off the bat that he seemed pretty controlling of her. Yeah, he never left. He would never leave her so I could talk to her. Susan's father passed away shortly after Jerry and Susan left Michigan. In his will, he left money to both Evan and Susan's daughter. But Jerry wouldn't let Susan accept this money for her kids. Jerry told her that he could take care of their family and the kids didn't need that money. Also, Holly and Susan's family all noticed another alarming situation. If Jerry was home, the only way Susan could talk on the phone to anyone was if she kept her phone on speaker so that Jerry could listen to both sides of the conversation. Holly told me it had gotten to where she wasn't seeing Susan and Evan that much and that Susan would often cancel their plans. I asked Holly if she was aware of any physical abuse in Susan and Jerry's relationship. Well, that I truthfully can't say. I know Susie, and I know she wouldn't have told me if he was, because she knew I would have worried. And she's the type of person she would have wanted me to worry, so I know she wouldn't have told me. She would have tried to hit that from me. And I said, which did worry me with a lot of times, like me and her made plans to, to go shopping or get her nails done or something, and then she canceled, which made me think, okay, so did she have bruises on her that she didn't want me to see, so she now couldn't meet up with me then. By this time, Susan is aware of Jerry's secret life and his many lies, and the life she was living with Jerry began to show signs of a downward spiral. And this was another red flag with Jerry, too. I want to say about a year before their disappearance, Susie called me up one day and said that she had found something interesting. She had found her boat listed on um, Craigslist for sale. Jerry had listed her boat for sale, and when they bought the boat, like I said, it needed work. She put a lot of time and effort in, into this boat. She put a new seat in it. She she just loved doing it. She was like, you know, I actually have a boat for, for us to take out on the water now. And and she put the new coating inside the boat. I mean, she redid the entire thing. Had it looking really nice. And, well, with this ad that she found on Craigslist where Jerry had – evidently listed her boat for sale without her knowledge. Not only did it have her boat listed for sale, but in the description she was reading me, it was telling on Craigslist when he would be at work and when his wife would be home alone. And then had a Google map with directions to their house. Okay, so it almost, and I told her specifically, I said, that's weird. I said, that almost like a, sounds like a setup, like he's having you killed or something. She said, I know that's what I was thinking. She says, so I told him, I said, he better either take that ad off or said, if he sells my boat, then I'm selling his motorcycle. She says, so he, he removed the listing after that. I said, that sounds like a setup. I said, why would he 
have a map with directions to your house and then be telling people when you're home alone and when he's at work. I said, that's weird. You may remember Evan and his sister's dogs being mentioned a few times now. They had two small dogs, Sugar and Schnook. One was Evan's and one was his sister's. Something that stuck out to me as I spoke to their friends and family is that every time they took a trip, it was mentioned that the dogs went with them. They took the two dogs with them when they went to visit Linda in Texas in 2016. They also took them with them when Susan's dad was dying and they made the trip to Michigan. Within a few weeks of Susan and Evan disappearing, both Sugar and Schnook were dropped off at the Humane Society. So she had Sugar and Schnook, and Sugar she'd had for, I want to say, if I remember correctly, around two years. Was I didn't find out until, you know, after all this was going on, that they had been took to the pound. So they had actually been took to the pound from what we found out from the Humane Shelter by Jerry's dad. And even more interesting, okay, they had those dogs for a while. And Jerry's parents lived you know, not far away from them. And Jerry's parents were at their house quite frequently. I find it really hard to believe that Jerry's dad did not know what those dogs' names were. They had sugar longer than they had the other one. But the humane shelter said that when he dropped the dogs off at the shelter, he told them that Sugar's name was Susan. That's the name that they had listed for Sugar. Susan is the name that they had listed for Sugar. And they said that's the name that they were given by Jerry's dad when he dropped them off. And I think he gave them a story that something about his son couldn't take care of him anymore because he worked long hours or some, some story like that. And so by the time I found out that they even took to the pound, Snook had already been adopted. Sugar was still there. Well, I have three dogs already. And I, I told my husband, I said, I'm, I'm going to pick Sugar up. I said, I'm not leaving her there. And he was like, we can't have four dogs. I was like, I don't care. I'm not leaving her there. I said, I'm going to drive back to Alabama and go get her. And this is from Key West, 15 hours away. I was like, I'm not leaving her there. So I, I was literally just in panic. I was like, I've got to go get her. And this was on the weekend, so when they weren't open yet. So I was literally planning on taking off of work and going to get her. So my parents still live in Montgomery. So I was talking to my mom and everything. She said, do you want me to go get her? And this was on that Sunday. And I said, yes. I said, will you? She said, yes. She said, I'll go get her. She said, I'll go, go get her tomorrow morning. I said, I said, hurry up. I said, don't let anybody else get her. You know, I said, hurry and go get her. So my parents have her now. Jerry's behavior, as it's been described by family, friends, and even people who just had brief encounters with them, is abusive. Susan and Evan were living in an unpredictable, crazy, and miserable environment. And unfortunately, there are more alarming stories to come. Why didn't she leave? We will be exploring that and more. We have a very special guest for our next episode on April 12th. Mark Gillespie will be giving us some insight into some of the forensic questions I know I have, and I'm sure you have too. Mark has his master's degree in forensics, and has been a professor of forensics and the director of a forensics division of a police department. He was a special agent in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations for 13 years, and he has been the owner of Gillespie Security and Investigations for the last 15 years. 
you won't want to miss what Mark has to say. Join us next time on Secrets True Crime. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please let us know by giving us a great rating and review in Apple Podcast. If you have any information that could help in solving the disappearance of Susan Osborne and Evan Chartrand, please call the Elmore County Sheriff's Office at 334-567-5546. You may also email me at secretstruecrime at gmail.com. I'm active on social media and often share photos of Susan and Evan. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Secrets Crime. The audio editing and post-production for this show is by Kane Power at OvernightAudio.net.